Good to see you all here. I wanted to point a few, or one thing out from the bulletin that we noticed. Um, next week's service, um, that is in the gym at 10.30, it's 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. It says in there p.m., so it's not a 13-hour long service, and it's not an evening, late evening service. So just so you know, it is a morning one. We'll probably shoot out an email this week um, and next week, you know, just so you all are aware of the schedule of events. So really glad you're all here. I wanted to start by um, announcing some new members, and if I call your name, would you please stand? Um, these are folks from that have went through our membership process completely and have decided they wanted to uh, be a part of our church as a church member. And so um, in the Bible, the New Testament really assumes that uh, Christians were connected and contributing to a local group of Christians, a local body, um, working together with them to accomplish the mission that Jesus has given us, which is to reach out. And so um, these folks, um, many of them were in the first service. So, But if you're here, and even if you stood up last service, please stand again. So if you are here, Ali Bonomo, Brian Campos, Rachel Chestnut, Jeanette Diaz, Ken and Wendy England, Pat Green, Justin Guadagno, like I said, first service mainly, Mark Langworthy, uh, Rachel Lopez, Cindy and Danny Mello, Brianna Mendez, and Shelby Goss, and then I'm going to add Jeff Lee. He's in the back right. So Jeff was announced in a previous service as well, or his name was on the thing, previous service. But I wanted to just um, welcome you all formally, so let's cheer them on as they've taken that step. And I'm going to pray, so you guys can remain sitting down and pray for you guys as well. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this group that has decided to uh, become a member of OCC. Lord, we thank you for um, their decision and the process of um, how this has played out in their lives. God, we pray that, Lord, that they would use their gifts here to minister. Lord, we pray that they would grow within the church, that they would be um, a vital part of the body of Christ here as we work um, to reach people in this area. Lord, I pray also that they would, um, as, as they minister, Lord, that we would minister to them as well and care for them. Lord, we pray that um, we would take seriously that commitment we make as members of this church, God. We love you and we thank you. God, we all also ask that you prepare all of our hearts this morning as we dive into your word and as we look at a very important message tied to the birth of your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we've been looking at a message series called The Stars, and we've been looking at how the stars communicate things to us about God himself. And so today we're looking at a very uh, important part of one of the stars that was used in history and, and in the Bible, we read about it. And so, uh, but I, I took an astronomy class in college, and they, one of the assignments was to go to La Sierra University. They have an observatory there, and to uh, you know, look, in the, look in the telescope and check out the moon, check out Saturn. It was pretty fascinating. I remember looking at the moon, and it was just like they had a really high-powered telescope. You could see really clearly, lots of definition, just really fascinating to see the moon or other things. You could see Saturn with its rings. and But I didn't really see anything that night that really altered my life to where uh, I would say I'm a different person because of it. Um, I, I really think that the stars draw our attention to something. And it did. It, I was like, well, that's, that's neat. You can see the close-up version of the moon. That's really fascinating. But again, it didn't you know, I didn't camp out there and decide to devote my life to science or astronomy. I didn't want to become an astronaut. But stars have this way of drawing our attention to something. And as we've been looking at, it draws our attention to someone. 
the star maker. This morning, as we're looking at, again at the stars, we're going to look at how there was a point in time where God used a star to guide people to worship Him. Kind of like an ancient GPS tool that God used in the heavens in order to guide the Magi, we know them as the wise men, to worship the newborn king, Jesus. They followed a star. I mean, it's kind of a fascinating story. People following a star, like literally following a star, if you think about it, it's fascinating. That's pretty strange when I think about it, honestly. What would compel them to follow a star? I want to kind of look at that question. What would compel any of us to set out on a spiritual quest like that? These men trekked through the desert with gifts. That's a dangerous journey. They left the comfort of their home. Clearly, the destination of where they were headed would have to compel them to, to take the journey. And any time we go somewhere, you know, the destination needs to be the motivation behind where we're going. That, I think, explains their journey. Anytime we take a, a, a trip, my wife just got back from a trip to Washington, D.C. She was there for a week to visit her grandparents, and um, our daughter turns two today. So we were trying to get her there for free before she turns two, because parents know that your kids can fly for free when they're under two. You have to put them in your lap, and so for a direct flight, you know, five-hour flight with a child in your lap, not the most enjoyable journey. Um, but, you know, it was worth the, the cost savings, we felt like, and she really wanted to do this. While she was there, she, was, she got a little sick, and you know, all of that, she's fine now, she's back here safely, but she came back, she was like, man, it was really worth it. I'm so glad. Even despite the medical thing, even despite carrying my daughter and, and all this stuff, she's like, it's, it was just worth the trip. And that's true. The journey is, is justified by the destination, oftentimes. And as we're going to look at, I think that's the case in this story. Some of you are here this morning because you've already set out on a spiritual journey. You're somewhere along in your journey with, with God and His Son, Jesus, and Jesus Christ, and you've discover some amazing things already. It's like as you've encountered a relationship with Christ, you've found almost like a hidden treasure where just life opens up. Things really begin to come alive. That's what the Scripture talks about when we enter into God's kingdom and when we find and discover that. Some of you have already, you've already begun that journey. Others here are, maybe you're here this morning and you're just in the beginning stages or you're in the real early stages of that. You're open to finding out if indeed God exists and has made a way for you to relate to him, but you're really not sure. Maybe you can identify with some of the characters we're going to look at in the story in just a minute. And you're kind of at a point where you're considering, is this really worth putting my life on hold, turning, you know, course or changing course in my life and beginning to follow Jesus Christ, giving him control, surrendering my life to him? Is it really worth that? That's probably a question some of you are asking. Maybe you're not even sure at all if there's any possible existence for God, but you're just, you're here, you know, someone drug you here possibly. Um, whatever has brought you here this morning, my hope is that as you're here, that you get to know some people, you'd interact with some people who have found God and are trying to follow him with a whole heart. Also that you can get your questions answered. If you have questions about things we're talking about this morning or just other questions, if they're legitimate questions, we would love to be a part of the process of helping you discover how to connect with God. And so let's look at some scriptures this morning as we look at the significance of the stars again. You'll notice you can follow along in this listening guide. At the top you'll see it says, God made the stars to mark seasons, times, and to use as signs. This is some of the ways that stars have used. We've 
We've talked about these things, but just to review, it says in Genesis 1.14, in the creation account, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. The idea in the creation account is that God, He made, He's the creator of the stars. He used them to mark seasons and times. We know this about the stars. They're very much like clockwork. There's this predictable pattern about the stars. And if you have studied science, you'll understand that the stars can be predicted because of past patterns. You can see what's going to happen in the future, where the stars' positions will be, where the planets will be. That's why we know, hey, in you know, six months from now, we're going to have a really good shot of Jupiter, or in two years from now, Mars is going to come into great viewing. You know, we know these things because of the predictable patterns of the motions of the stars and the planets. The stars, though, also are used as signs. Look at Mark, I'm sorry, Luke 21, 25. Jesus says in some way, they will be an indicator of, of the fact that the end is near. Jesus said, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. So there, there's things that God will communicate to us through the stars. Not in a, not in a, uh, in a hokey way, but... That there's things like we've looked at over the last few weeks. We learn a great deal about God, His character, His existence. You ever play with a light bright when you were a kid? Remember the light bright? You got this blackboard. You could stick different colored pegs that would light up. They would make a picture, or you could you, know, you could write a message, and then you put it somewhere so they can read the message. That kind of puts this verse into scale for me. The idea of God, He uses the stars to communicate some truths about Himself about life to us. And as we look at it, I think we'll be fascinated by one of the things that a discovery that a lawyer has recently made about the star of Bethlehem. So we'll show you a video a little bit later. But another thing is the heavens. The second point is the heavens reveal the promise and the plan of our Maker. Three verses I want to briefly read to you. Job 9.9 talks about how God is the Maker. It says He is the Maker of the Bear and the Orion, the Pleiades, and the constellations of the south. Those are constellations that we're aware of. <clears throat> and God is saying He's the Creator. He's the one that made the, the Orion in the sense of He arranged the stars in a certain fashion. God takes the credit for arranging the stars themselves. Look at Job 38, verses 31 and 32. It says, Can you bind the beautiful... I don't know, I'm butchering this. I did it last service too. Pleiades. Can you loose the cords of Orion? Again, talking about how only someone with infinite power can do that. Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? The claim here is that our God is an organized God. He's a planning God. He's a God who plans. He's set things into motion. He's arranged them, and then He set them in motion. Isaiah says this, Isaiah 40:26. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Talking about the heavens, the stars, the creation... He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of His great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. He, the idea here is He never overlooks a single star. He knows everything that He has created. It's amazing when you think of the vast number of stars in the universe. There's just billions and billions of stars. In our galaxy, mentioned a few weeks ago, that there's over 100 billion Earths. You know, there's more than that. There's actually, they say in the Milky Way galaxy, 200 billion plus stars. And, but there's 100 billion galaxies that each have at least 100 billion stars in the known universe. That's amazing 
just infinite number of stars, and God knows each of them. You know, He calls them each by name. He created them all. He knows everything He's created. And with it, without a doubt, He's used stars to communicate some things. But beyond that, probably the most important time a star was ever used was when God used a brilliant star to light the path to the newborn king. There's this point in time where he uses a star known as the Star of Bethlehem, and there's been a lot of questions about what exactly was that star. How did that exactly work? And so I want to look at the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So you look at it with me together. It's printed in your outline. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. I'm going to pause there for a second, introduce you to two characters at least. One is King Herod. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during the time of this king, King Herod, King Herod was not a Jew, but he was, he was ruling the Jews. So he was king over the Jews, but he was placed by, there by the Roman government. He was, he was an Edomite. He wasn't a Jewish person. And so because of that, there's a lot of tension between the Jews and Herod, because he was a foreigner brought in to rule over them. He was actually a descendant of Esau, and so not a descendant of, of Jacob. And so there was a lot of tension between the Jewish people and this king. He was a very insecure man. He was a very controlling person. He used a lot of um, tactics in order to keep his throne secure. So you've got King Herod and then these magi, where we get the word for magician, these were astronomers, astrologers. They were people whose profession was to study and interpret the stars. They lived chiefly in Persia and Arabia, in Babylon. But you see these wise men, they come to Herod. And I want to tell you a little bit about the wise men because it's significant to why they would journey to Jerusalem at this time. Okay? The wise men show up about 650 years before this in Daniel chapter 2. In Babylon, you find out that there's a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon is like modern-day Iraq, okay? There's a king who's ruling there. And the people of Israel were deported. They were kicked out of their country and sent to live in foreign lands. A large group went to Babylon. They were taken capt- as captives there. And the king of Babylon, he was, um, he was a cruel man. But at one point, he had a dream. And it really troubled him. He didn't know what to do about it. And so he called his wise men in, the wise men of Babylon, in order to interpret the dream. And he, he said, I need to know what this dream is all about. But he wouldn't tell them what the details of the dream was. So imagine me coming to say, you know, coming to ask you, hey, tell me about my dream last night. And you're like, okay, I'll tell you what it means. I'm like, go ahead, tell me. Aren't you going to tell me the dream? No, I want you to tell me what I dreamed and then tell me what it means. That's, that's what... Nebuchadnezzar was asking these wise men to do. And so their response to the king was this. They said, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. He's asking them to interpret a dream without first hearing the details of it. Then they said, No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. Eventually, a Hebrew man, Daniel, summoned He's called before King Nebuchadnezzar and he interprets, he tells them the dream that he had. He interprets the dream. And the fame of that wise man, Daniel, 
who was a Hebrew, had been sent as a captive to Babylon from, you know, from Israel. He, he was sent there. And it's interesting, he, you know, the fame of that man Daniel spread throughout that area. The wise men knew about, wow, this man Daniel did some amazing things. And the God he serves is, is an amazing God. And so that, I would say, story spread for, for years, through generations. And most people, they link the Magi in the Bible that followed the star to Jesus. They link those wise men or those Magi to the same school that, of wise men trained in Babylon, along with Daniel. It's very likely that they also knew the prophecies about the king who would come out of Israel, God's Messiah, the one who would be, the Scripture says, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. So it's very likely they saw this bright star in the sky and it triggered in them the memories of the story of, of Daniel and the God that he served. And they were also probably very familiar with the stories, the Old Testament prophecies about the God of Israel and when, what he would do in history. And so something triggered in them a response to say, let's pack our bags, let's take some very expensive gifts to trek through the desert and worship this king. So I want to give you the background because it's hard to really understand why would they do this. But then listen to the responses of the different people who hear the news. First, you have King Herod. The Magi come and then his, his response is this. When King Herod heard this news, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. He was disturbed because the Magi are looking for a king and he, he's the king. So his, his power is being threatened and he's thinking he had already killed family members, children, uh, his own children he killed because he didn't want them to take his throne. He was such an insecure leader that this was a huge threat for him. And then all Jerusalem was very disturbed because if Herod wasn't happy, now they're not happy as well. Look at verse 4. It says, when he called together all the people's chief priests, Herod calls together the religious people, the Jewish religious people, and he gets the teachers of the law and he asks them, where is the Christ to be born? He pulls the religious people together and he asks them to tell them about the prophecies about their Messiah, their Deliverer. Verse 5 says, in Bethlehem, that's their answer, in Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Now, it's kind of a sad note. The Jewish religious leaders, they know where the Messiah was going to be born. They knew that Jesus would be born, God's Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But it didn't move them to the point to where they said, why, has he showed up? You know, should we pack our bags and journey to worship the king as well? They just pass along information. It's like they had information in their head, but their heart was really kind of cold and callous towards the things of God. And I think that's... I think sometimes we can identify with that. We have a lot of information up here, but our heart... It's just information. It's not life-altering. It didn't, it didn't cause these men to join the journey. Verse 7 says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly... And he found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. So he already knew where the baby was born in Bethlehem. Now he's trying to find out when is the baby born. Because he's trying to figure out how do I eliminate this threat to my power. Verse 8 says, He sent the Magi to Bethlehem, which is about five miles south of Jerusalem. And he said, Go and make a careful search for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Now he's telling a bold-faced lie. He doesn't want to go and worship him. He wants to find out where Jesus was born so he could go and kill him. 
If you read the rest of the text, I mean, in in a later part of John chapter or Matthew chapter two, you'll see how what happens to to Jesus's family. But it says verse verse nine says after they had heard the king, this is the magi. They went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them. Now, again, the star is still guiding them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Make a mental note of that. The star stops. Does that sound like a star? <laughs> the star stops. Again, stars are in motion. We're in motion. We're on a moving planet, right? And so there's this, there's this phenomenon that happens. How do you explain that? Verse 10 says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. He's no longer a newborn, probably a toddler at this point. And it says, they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. These are gifts fit for a king. It's amazing. These foreign magi arrive after trekking through the desert. They bow down and worship this child, the king, this child. The text doesn't mention that they, when they arrived to King Herod, that they brought Herod a gift. Herod was a king. And here they bring this baby king, these gifts. They're honoring him like God, like a God. Verse 12 says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So here's some of the different responses. On the back you'll see different responses to the news of the king. We see first, some sat out on a journey to worship him. That's the Magi. Some just decided, this is worth putting my life on hold, leaving the comfort of my home, using my own resources. Sometimes the, the destination clearly justifies the journey. It makes it worth the effort. Another response is a leader saw him as a threat. Herod, he saw Jesus' life and power and existence as a threat to his own leadership, his own livelihood. I think many of us can identify with what what Herod may have been struggling with, when we consider what it means to surrender our lives and control of our lives to Jesus, the King. Because most of us would admit, I'm the boss of my life. I call the shots. I'm in the driver's seat. I run the show. And so when we're confronted with turning our life over to Christ and saying, I'll yield my life to you, that can be an extreme threat. And so you might be thinking, you know, I can identify with why Herod was threatened. Because I'm struggling with that issue of surrender myself. Another possible response you see in the religious leaders was others were just too distracted or too busy to notice what was unfolding. The religious leaders, they said, yeah, the, they, told, they told Herod that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They passed along the information. They knew the prophecies about the Messiah in their heads, but their hearts just seemed cold and calloused. Again, maybe that's something you can identify with. But in this story, we see how God, He arranges the stars. God arranges the stars and our lives to draw us to Him. That's that next point there. God, He, he, he not only has He formed the stars, He's the creator of the stars, but He's arranged the stars and our very lives in a way that it would draw us to worship Him, to praise Him. John 6.44 kind of communicates this idea, but some people begin to investigate Christianity because of the beauty of God's creation. Some people are just drawn to God because they look up at the skies, they look at the stars, they see all that what God has made, and it draws them to the conclusion, it leads them to the conclusion of, there must be a God who made all this. There must be a God who organized and fashioned the heavens. 
Psalm 19 actually communicates, the heavens declare the glory of God. Like The skies, they shout praise of God. Romans chapter 1 talks about that all men are without excuse because we all see God's handiwork, His creation. Like Just the stars alone. There's things that draw us to worship Him. But then there's also circumstances in our lives that we begin to put together all these things and we say, wow, these things can't be accidental. Like The existence of God I used to think was accidental, but I see all this stuff happening. And now I'm wondering. And God starts drawing our hearts to Him. Look at what Jesus said. John 6.44 says, No one can come to Me, this is Jesus speaking, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws Him, and I will raise Him up at the last day. You can't just come into a relationship with God without first God initiating in your life. Doing some things that would grab hold of your attention and drawing you to know Him. To say, who is this God? Who is this God that my friends worship and serve? Who is this God that, my, that I've read about? I've read the stories. Sometimes we think of the stories and we, we have a hard time personalizing this stuff. Like the Christmas story. Many people in our country think that the Christmas story is just a nice story. You know, it comes Christmas time, we read about the little baby born in a manger. We, we see the nativity scene in our culture and our, you know, and we think that's a nice story. You know, it's a nice story, kind of like the Easter Bunny story and the Santa story and Frosty the Snowman story. And that's a nice story. And sometimes we never really take it off the shelf of the nice story and we think this, this reality, this actually happened. This ought to alter the course of my life. But God is the only one who has the power the only one who has the ability to arrange things in a way that draws our attention to Him. The Star of Bethlehem, you know, that He arranged that to draw people to worship Him. God is hoping that even the circumstances of our life would draw us to worship Him. It's a fascinating thing. Science oftentimes comes and confirms that what is in the Bible is not just a nice story, but science over and over confirms the truth of the stories that we find in the Bible and the Bible itself. I want to show you an example of this. This is kind of a long video. It's a six-minute long video. So just prepare yourself for that. And it's kind of a scientific video. I could have brought popcorn because it is a long video. But this is a video, and I'd like you to write down the word or the website, BethlehemStar.net. Now, it's a fascinating um, video. This is an edited version of a 90-minute long presentation that this lawyer is doing about the star of Bethlehem. And I think it's kind of fascinating that science confirms things that we read about in the Bible. So this guy, he's a lawyer, and he's trying to figure out, was the star of Bethlehem like really a star? What made it different? And so he studies the text of Matthew 2, and he finds that there's nine marks of this star. He says there's certain things that, or there's nine marks for it to be the star of Bethlehem. And he purchases this astronomy program called Starry Night. And it's a program that any of us could buy and load it on our computers. And what the program allows you to do is you type in your viewing position. So let's say you want to be in Riverside, California. You can type in where you're at. And you type the direction you want to be looking into the sky and the date. So let's say we wanted to be, you know, December 25th, 2011, from Riverside, California, looking west. And up on your screen will show the stars and the planets and the position of everything, okay? And it will label things and it will lay the constellations over and you can see. That's kind of a fascinating um, tool. Well, so what he did was he, he used this tool and he went back to the... He started thinking, I wonder what appeared in the sky 
around the time when Jesus was supposed to have been born. And he starts looking for bright stars. And what would have been in Babylon, which is like modern-day Iraq, so he punches in Baghdad, Iraq, and he looks at this date range, and he's trying to find out what is in the sky looking, heading towards Jerusalem. What would have been guiding these wise men? And I'm giving you all this info, because otherwise some of this is just going to fly right over your head. Um, He takes a very literal interpretation of these verses, and he's looking to see, he, he finds out that Jupiter is actually pointing would have been pointing these men directly towards Israel. Jupiter, the planet. Now, Jupiter is known as the king planet. And at a certain point in, in time, where he, the date range where he was looking, there would have been Jupiter and this other really bright star known as Regulus in close position to each other. And Regulus is, is called the king star. The Romans called it Rex, the king star, but it was known as Regulus. So you have the king star and the king planet right next to each other, and he's like, wow, that's kind of fascinating. I see the word king. I see the word king. And he's like, that's probably just coincidental. But then he lays the constellations over and he finds out that those stars are in position within the constellation Leo. And he ties it to a verse, several verses in the Old Testament talking about the lion, meaning the symbol for the tribe of Judah, where the Messiah was going to come from. And so then he's thinking, wow, these wise men, if they understood the Old Testament prophecies, they would have made the, these connections. They, these are astronomers who study the stars. So that's probably enough context. He just shows, he's about to pick up and connect some Bible verses from some other portions of the Bible to Jesus' birth. So take a look and then comment on it at the end. If we look at the sky and turn on the constellations, we'll see that Jupiter has been crowning Regulus right here in the constellation Leo the Lion. Well, now I can see an association with a Jewish nation. I can see King 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 in Leo. Well, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty cool. But there's something even bigger that I've got to show you that really spooked me when I saw it. And to do that, I'm going to take you back to the Bible, to the last book of the Bible. We've just been in the first book of the Bible. Now we're in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Let's take a look and see what John describes. He says, a great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. What is the sign? Well, I want you to watch this. It's a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon at her feet, a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. If you understand this, please email me, okay? His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son. A male child will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Hey, here's that scepter again. Who's the child? That's Jesus in his role as king of kings. We saw the the prediction in Genesis and here in Revelation he appears again and he's got that scepter because he's now the king of kings. So, if the child is Jesus, who's the woman? Yeah, that's pretty easy. Okay. And in, in, in metaphorical terms, who's the dragon that waited at the, foot, at the foot of the woman to devour the child? That's Herod. The dragon is Herod. John elsewhere tells us in Revelation that the, the dragon is Satan, but we know in human terms it was Herod. So we now understand what he's describing is the birth of Jesus, but he sees it in the heavens. I'm going to show you something now that definitely got all little hairs up on the back of my neck and on the back of my arm. and Because uh, what follows Jupiter into the sky as we animate the sky is Virgo, the Virgin. 
and she's clothed in the sun. And she has the moon at her feet. It's just a crescent moon, a very small crescent, barely a visible moon. There's a reason for that. This is Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah. The sheer weight symbolism in the sky on this day blew me away. In September of 3 BC, when Jupiter is coming in a close conjunction with Regulus, the king planet and the king star, that happening in Leo, the lion representing the nation of Judah, the tribe of Judah, that rises in the sky and behind it rises Virgo, the virgin, and she's clothed in the sun and she has the moon at her feet. It's exactly what John describes in Revelation 12. It's what he saw in his vision. It's obvious. That got me. When I went on the time forward and saw that rise and realized, oh my goodness, that's what John saw. There it is. So I'm looking at all this stuff happening, you know, and I'm, everything's just, you know, really moving me. And I'm thinking, man, if we, this may be the birth of Jesus. And then I thought, wait a minute, maybe not. Because Jewish people and a lot of Christian people believe that uh, life begins at conception. So I thought to myself, well, this might, maybe this is the conception of Jesus. Maybe this is uh, the, the Annunciation, when Gabriel appeared to Mary and, and, and she said, be it done unto me. Well, you can test that. I thought, well, let's just wind forward nine months and see if there's anything uh, interesting happening in the sky. So that's what I did. So let's jump forward nine months. Now, we're still reading from Babylon because uh, I don't think they've left yet. <laughs> it's now 2 BC. It's, it's June. It's nine months later. Jupiter has finished crowning Regulus in Leo and is now moving backwards through the constellations like it always does. I'm going to melt the sunset because I need the sky to be darker. You can see it setting in the west, of course, like everything does because it's the rotation of the earth. Incidentally, if you're in Babylon and you're looking west, what are you looking toward? Israel. Okay. Now I'm going to show you something that you can see in any planetarium around the world. Even if they don't believe in Jesus or you know, the Bible or anything, they're going to show you this at Christmas. Because all planetaria do Christmas shows. That's the only way they can get you in there, right? Um, and they always show this event because this event is simply so spectacular. Whether they believe in God or not, they're going to show you this, this shot. Um, I'm going to kind of cheat as I show it to you, though, because the, uh, observation back then was all naked eye observation. They had no lenses. So I'm going to cheat. I'm going to zoom in because I want to show you guys. I'm going to take you in on the secret of what's happening here. They couldn't zoom, but we can. So I'm going to zoom in way in. So finally, I get those two objects separated. One of them's Jupiter. The other one's another planet. You're going to tell me which one, too. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. That's the mother planet. Venus is the mother planet. So we have Jupiter, the king planet, and Venus, the mother planet, coming into very close conjunction. That seems kind of pregnant, doesn't it? In fact, they got even closer than that. Let me wind time forward just a little bit. What I'm trying to show you is that they really stacked like a figure eight. So they didn't block each other's light. They added. What you had then was two stars stacked on top of each other, too close together to separate with the naked eye. And so to an observer, it appeared to be the brightest star anyone alive had ever seen. Now, I'm not a scientist, so I don't claim to be a scientist. <clears throat> it's interesting, as I watched, I watched this thing twice. It's like a 90-minute long thing. Again, you can find it at BethlehemStar.net, and it's a fascinating study. He walks through the scriptures, and it's a fascinating study that he's put together. He, like, 
they, the group that produces is the same group that produced the Passion of the Christ. And so um, he's traveling the world sharing what he's discovered. And, and later on in the, in the movie or in the presentation, he shows how the star would have appeared to have stopped over Bethlehem. And he, he scientifically, he, he talks about it. He shows it from the program as well to where it would have appeared that the, the star stopped. Then later, and he's at this point, you're just like, wow, wow. And then, he's, and then he poses the question, I wonder what would have happened in the skies at the time of Jesus' death. And so the scripture says, at Jesus' death, it says, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, and he, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It says that the, the sky was dark. The guy sped up his program to see what happened in the skies at that time. And there was a full, a total solar eclipse which would have meant darkness. And he's just like, again, he's just like, wow, that's, again, fascinating. So he, he makes this interesting point, and I wrote it down because I thought it's a good summary of what he's trying to communicate. He says this, from the very moment God created the universe, he knew exactly when he would enter the human race as Jesus and die on the cross because he marked it in the stars. It's fascinating. I encourage you to check it out if it's something you like to look at. You know, when you think about the Christmas story beyond just a nice story. But our maker, God, he went to all of this trouble because he wants everyone, wants everyone on earth to recognize him and receive him as king. He wants to draw us into a real relationship with him. He desires fellowship with people he's created. John 1 says this, he was in the world, speaking of Jesus. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Rejected him. He was rejected by many in the world. Jesus told his followers, he said, I am the way to the Father. Your first step might be just, I need to get clear on who Jesus said he was. What the Bible says about Jesus. Why he did what he did. What he came to do. I need to just begin to engage in a, in a conversation with others, possibly. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave them the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So all of us who have gone our own way in life, every single one of us has decided to, to live independent from God. The Bible calls that sin. We've all moved in a different direction from God. And in order to turn your life around, you... you you need to admit, you know, I've been going and running in a different direction. I'm ready to turn my life over to head God's way in life. And I want to yield control of my life to Him, surrender to Him as King, and bow, symbolically bow my life before and worship the King. You may have already connected with God, and, and if you have, then let the stars bring your main objective into focus. As you look up at the stars, let them draw you to worship Him. That final point is give heartfelt praise and thanks to God. There's some verses you may want to check out there. The idea here is your very existence, the purpose that you exist, it's given meaning, as you understand, you exist to bring God praise. He wants us to understand that we exist to bring Him praise, to give thanks, to worship Him. That all of our affections, all of our ability, all of our attention and focus would be directed to bring Him praise. That's the passage in Mark. He wants to know that we're first, that He's first in our lives, that we love Him with our whole heart. If you want, take out that connection card as the band comes up here. 
as you see the star of Bethlehem, as you just see it throughout the Christmas season, and as you see the lights in the sky, again, let them turn your focus to the one who made, to one who made it all. Let it draw you to worship Him. Because we are wired to worship something. God's put it in our hearts so that we would wrap our hearts around some things. And some of us wrap it around relationships on earth. Some of it wrap it around money and possessions. Some of it wrap, wrap it around pleasures. God wants us to... We're wired to worship Him. He wants us to be drawn to just worship and praise Him, the God who loves us and made us. Here's some next steps to consider. You might want to indicate if you're planning to take one of these, and we'll pray for you. The first one is investigate Christ for myself. If you're at a point where you're like, you know, I really need to get serious about getting clear on what the message of Jesus is, you might check that. If you do, we'll send you some information about what it means to be a Christian. We'd love to help you get connected. Another thing is I'd like to talk with someone about making Jesus the boss. Maybe you understand what the story of Jesus is all about, but it's time to, you know, you just need to dialogue with someone. We'd love to help you get connected. A third one is worship Him through blank. And you fill in the blank there. If there's something that you feel like you're withholding from God, something you feel like there's an area of surrender that you feel like, I really need to hand this over to God as an act of worship. The last one is invite a guest to the family Christmas service. This is kind of our Christmas and Easter are the great times of the year where most people are pretty receptive to attending church. And so if you've been mulling on inviting someone, we'd really invite you to or encourage you to invite someone next week. And so we'll have a great time singing carols, enjoying a single service. So there'll be kids in here. It's going to be or in the gym. It'll be a pretty loud and fun service together. So let's pray. God, we again, we just thank you, God, for drawing us to know You, drawing us to investigate You and to discover You, God. Thank You, Lord, that You've opened up life. For those of us who know You personally, thank You that You've kind of turned the lights on in our life to understand why we exist, what this life is all about. Lord, I pray that we would live lives of real purpose and meaning as we live each day in worship of You, God who made us, who loves us, who wants to have fellowship with us, Lord, for those here that are still just setting out on the journey or even not sure to start, Lord, I pray You'd continue to work in a way that would draw them to Yourself, Lord. And they would come to a point where they are convinced that there's a God who exists, who's real, who sent His Son, Jesus, to offer up His life to forgive them of their sins so they could have eternal life and the best life on this earth. God, thank You for the way that You provide hope. And how reminded of it in this Christmas season, God. We love you. God, as we give our offerings back to you, we thank you, Lord, that you've been so generous with us. We ask that as we give back to you, God, it would be a true expression, Lord, of gratitude and thanks, God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In just a moment, the ushers are going to come forward. And as they do, um, along with any offering that you came prepared to give, if you'd also drop the connection card in there, and that lets us know you were here. And... Cody's going to lead us in a final song, so let's continue in worship.